This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Hope you all are having a great time watching the World Championships. It's been so fun to watch all those incredible performances that have gone down this past week. I'm still writing a little bit on the excitement from Grandma's Marathon. I know there's a lot of other fun things going on as well, too, now. But we recorded one more interview from Grandma's, and that is with Gabby Rooker. In her second marathon, she took her marathon from... 254.57 at Grandma's Marathon in 2021 to 234.57 this year in 2022 at Grandma's Marathon, qualifying her for the Olympic trials in the marathon. So, yeah, we get to hear all about that and what that looked like taking that time down 20 minutes and her background and history with running. She grew up a competitive gymnast and now works as a PA. So she has a pretty non-traditional path to marathon running that is going to be exciting to hear about in this episode. I know you're going to enjoy getting to know Gabby just like I did. This episode of the podcast is supported by Gooder. If you are looking for a great pair of sunglasses to run in, to run your errands in, to just do your life in, make sure to go check out Gooder. My favorite are the aviator shades. That's pretty much what I wear every day. But they have some really fun, loud styles as well. I always think it's fun to wear a fun color for races. So go pick out a really fun design for and style for your next race coming up, for your fall marathon. Get ready to run in some fun sunglasses. Go to gooder.com slash another. Use the code another15, that's another15, for 15% off your order at Gooder. And make sure you leave us a rating interview on the podcast here because we give away a pair of Gooder sunglasses every single month. You leave your rating and review on iTunes. Just shoot me an email, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com, and you're entered to win. That's it. Uh, all right, friends. Well, I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Gabby. All right. Today on All Have Another, we have Gabby Rooker on the show. Welcome to the show, Gabby. Hey, thanks for having me. How is your day going? Yeah, it's going well so far. How about you? Good. Are you off work this week? Yes, I work seven days on and seven days off typically, so I am off right now. Oh, I used to have a neighbor in our old neighborhood who's a physician that did that. I mean, all in for seven days and all off seven days. And I was always so intrigued by like how you balance your life that way. Yeah, it makes for an interesting seven days, but then a very uh, light and nice catch up seven days usually. And are your seven days on? Are those like 10, 12 hour shifts? Uh, it's 11 hours on the pager. I don't always have to be in-house for all of those. And then some evenings. Wow. And you're a PA, right? Correct. Oh my goodness. I had never heard of that schedule. I'm sure it's fairly common. Like people know about it in the medical community, but I had never heard about that until I met this woman and you know, she has two little kids too. So like on the weeks that she was off and her kids were at daycare, she really got to like take care of the house and be with her dogs and do all the things. So um, I'm sure it's really tough sometimes, but also really beautiful sometimes. Yes. 
it's about 80% fantastic and 20% very frustrating. So that's not a bad balance. Yeah. And you can sneak in little trips easier on the weeks off then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes for uh, making uh, uh, trading week intentionally longer on the week off. Oh, yeah, I bet. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can kind of like balance your workout schedule. I can't imagine training at your level, though, working seven days a week every other week for 11 hours. Yeah, I'm not, luckily, I'm not required to be working in the hospital all those 11 hours. Yeah, so So even if you have your pager on, you could be like mid-run and be like, oh, I got to get home and go take care of something. Uh, Yeah, sometimes that has happened before. (laughs) Well, congratulations on your massive PR and big race at Grandma's this year. Thank you. Um, 234.59 from 254.57. Wow, that's so exciting. Yeah, it was, uh, I was hoping to get a pretty big PR and that was even better than I had expected. So I was pretty thrilled. That's so good. Tell us a little bit about your non-traditional trajectory to running not only the marathon, but running the marathon very fast. Cause you know, <laughs> 254 is also a very fast debut, but like, where did, how did you even get here? Yeah. So I was a gymnast growing up. I started when I was three and it's all I ever wanted to do as a kid. Um, I briefly did, uh, like a year of soccer and a year of track and I was always a fast kid. Um, but Gymnastics basically was all-consuming for me, so it was really the only sport I focused on. Um, I did one year of track my senior year of high school and then uh, Division three college gymnastics. And then after college, it was kind of hard because with gymnastics, you plan that your career is over when you're 22 and you finish college, and you know that your whole life. So even though you're prepared to be done with gymnastics, it's hard to find ways to stay active and have a community and meet new people. And so I sort of just casually ran a couple of days a week for a while. And then um, after running the Twin Cities 10 mile in 2018, I got a little bit more serious about it and started working with my husband who's been coaching me and just sort of progressed from there. Now, is your husband still coaching you? Yes. Okay. And what's his story? Like what's his background with running? Yeah, he was uh, also a, he and I went to college together. He ran track at UW Lacrosse, but he did sprinting. So 100, 200, 400, um, but has a lot of interest in kind of the physiology side of things and started doing more and more research. And then over the past couple of years, he's been training me. So, you know, I always think like gymnastics of all of the sports as a kid seems to be one that's like all consuming, right? Like you live and breathe it, especially if you're at the level that it sounds like you were at. Um, Tell me like how that affected you mentally, emotionally, all the things as a kid growing up. And would you do it again? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. (laughs) Um, I think so. Yeah, it was absolutely all consuming, both positive and negative ways. Um, I wanted to be in the gym all the time. My best friends were in the gym. My coaches were like a second family. When we weren't in the gym, we were, you know, on the front trampoline in the backyard or on someone's beam that they had at home. So there was a lot of true, just absolute love to it. Um, but yeah, it is a sport where we weren't allowed to do other sports. We didn't, uh, club gymnastics is typically the more intense of the two routes on like most sports. Um, so it was year round. We didn't do any high school sports. so really didn't get involved um, with our high schools, things like that. Um, and especially because we all came from different high schools, it made for that sort of aspect of growing up to be a little bit more 
just a non-conventional, I suppose. Um, but it was where most of us wanted to be all the time at the same time, even though it was tough and it was intense and um, physically, mentally grueling. It still was something I think we all loved. I remember um, at my high school, there was there was one gymnast that was so good. So she was on the club team and we were all always like, if she would just, you know, compete on the high school team, like we would win all these meets. But like to get a scholarship and all those things, like you pretty much have to do club, right? With gymnastics. Yeah, I'd say the vast, vast majority of the time it's club um, where you can train year round. You can be with the same coaches. You can travel nationally for bigger meets um, and you can hours can be longer. So, um, do you like the strength that you gained mentally from gymnastics, like all those years of honing in those skills? Cause so much of it is physical, but also so much of it is mental. How much do you think that translated to your running? Yeah, it's such a different mental game. Um, because with gymnastics, you're, I mean, room for error in any sport is low, but you know, your room for error, error, you take your eyes off something on the bounce beam, you're off. Um, You know, you move your hips to the side one way, your routine's kind of unfortunately shot. Um, Versus, you know, running, especially with distance running, it's, you know, quote unquote, it's a marathon. (laughs) So you really, uh, that like day to day, long-term mental fitness is so important, but maybe if you have like a one bad moment in a, in a long race, you can get your head back into it a lot better. So I'd say it's, it's certainly a different mental challenge, but I think, yeah, having the background with gymnastics and doing so much visualization my entire life growing up and a lot of positive self-talk, especially learned in college, I think has all been really helpful. So let's talk about going from marathon 2021 to 2022 when you ran grandma's in 2021 and you debuted in that 254 like what was that training like yeah it was so I wanted to run in 2020 so I had been training pretty consistently late 2019 early 2020 until um everything was canceled um but then with my work because I you know work in a hospital and I had that didn't really change, but my weeks off became really, really quiet and calm. I was able to just sort of consistently up my mileage and my interval sessions and things like that. Um, I started to get a little bit more serious about strength training because I had had a tendinopathy of, uh, in my knee. So I did have a little bit of kind of relapse of that injury in early 2021. So I wasn't sure exactly what to expect going into the marathon. And just because it was something so different, the furthest I had ever done in a race was a 10 mile. Um, I kind of thought anything sub three would be fantastic. And then I started the race, things were going really well. So sped up and had a pretty good negative split. Um, After that and having a really good continued summer of training, um, I knew that the trials qualifier was gonna drop, but I didn't didn't know I was gonna go eight minutes down. So I started to think, well, maybe I can shoot for that. So. That's kind of where the focus shifted this time last year. Um, how much was that negative split? It was four and a half minutes, four <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so you were so conservative. I That's a really hard discipline to, to like really go all in on, especially in your first marathon, because you don't, 
I feel like we get in our first marathon and we're like, miles six to through 10, I'm feeling like I could fly. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that you were able to really control yourself and not get crazy, where did that come from? How did you do that? I don't really know. I think I remember just loving the feeling and enjoyment and the course. I am from Minnesota. So being up in Duluth, I love that. So I was really just enjoying the moment um, and able to kind of soak that in. And then as I realized, okay, you should be picking up faster and faster, um, kind of at about half, then I started to really cruise. Yeah. You're thinking, okay, somewhere along these lines, like if I want to run to my full potential, like this is going to need to hurt a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) What a like beautiful way to run a first marathon though. Yeah, it was great. Um, and so it sounds like if you negative split by four and a half minutes and you finish the race with a little bit in the tank, you probably could have run that first one in like 248 or something. Yeah, probably faster than than what I hit, but I'm not sure where it would have been this time last year. Okay, so let's just nerd out a little bit. For that race, what were you peaking your mileage out at? And then for this 234, what were you peaking out at? I had probably a pretty good chunk of weeks in the 70s and then one or two mid 80s. Uh, in 2021. And then this year as really consistently 80s had a couple in the 90s and then a, a week just over 100. Okay, so you went so definitely. Up. Yeah, definitely. But you were I mean, that 70s for your first marathon is still a pretty high mileage. Yeah, I've been able to maintain kind of 50 to 65 pretty consistently for probably the whole year going into the marathon and back in 2021. No injury in between the two. Uh, I had that tendinopathy in my knee. And so then that kind of winter, like January, February, I was doing a little bit more um, cycling on stationary bike. So I was able to complement that. But then mileage went down at that point, probably more like 30. Okay. And your focus was always going back to grandma's? Yes. And the 237. Okay. So 245, you were probably thinking, okay. Like knowing that you probably could have run 254, like minus five minutes, 245, no problem. But 237 probably felt a little bit scary. Yeah. um, I have a really good friend and training partner and she had just run uh, the Indy Marathon and had done a 240, which was an eight minute PR for her. And so she, you know, we were talking, you've got to be so close no matter what it is, it's going to be maximum two minutes that you have to cut off. And so when we found out, we were both kind of a little bit grumpy, a little bit frustrated <laughs> by it. But um, I remember my husband telling us, he's like, well, you guys already knew you had to run faster than you've already had to run. So now you just have to run a little faster. <laughs> hey, friends, a quick break here to thank Koala Clip for supporting this episode of the podcast. Koala Clip is the way to carry your phone on the go. There's just no other way to do it. I'm telling you. You put your phone in the little clip and clip it to your sports bra. Or actually, um, now that I'm wearing the Relay Run Co. uh, Rachel shorts, I can actually clip my koala clip into the side pocket there and it doesn't pull my shorts down. It doesn't move anything around and it's really easy to access there. But your phone stays dry. It doesn't bounce around. You can also put your keys or some cash, your ID in there. It's such a great way to carry your things. And... Christina also has an apparel line that is super cute. I especially love the Ren sports bra. That is my favorite. It is so comfortable. Go check out Koala Clip. Go to koalaclip.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 10% off your order. 
That's koalaclip.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 10% off your order. All right, back to the show. Um, 234, though, like you really cleared that by a big margin. Was that your always your intention? Um, I was a little bit, I think I'm probably a little more conservative in knowing what my abilities are than most. Probably that's reflected with that first marathon time, too. Um, I haven't really had the enough races in my belt to know what to trust and what not to trust, I think. Um, and so I had done some travel in April, was a little worried about how that was going to affect things, but then I knew I had, you know, a month and a half to really be consistent. And so I just going through May, early June, I was feeling stronger and stronger and kind of in the back of my head, I felt like I really do want to hit 237, but I still was thinking, well, I'm going to run a fall marathon. If I don't quite get there, it's still a, hopefully at least a 15 minute PR. Um, but then just basically the week of was when I really fully decided like, this is what I, I want to hit it this, this time. No question. I think I'm strong enough. So did you have a goal to like break 235? You just did it. <laughs> no, I mean, 237 was the goal. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and who's your friend that ran 240 in Indy? Uh, Kim Horner. Okay. So she also ran at grandma's and she also hit the standard. So nice. it was amazing. Yeah. What did she run at grandma's? Uh, she ran at 236.41. Oh, wow. When you uh, finished, yeah. were you just like looking for her? It was amazing. Her? Yeah, it was so fun. Uh, like when you uh, look her results up on the website and you can watch the finish, you can oh. just hear me screaming. It's so good. And like her qualifying, it almost makes me tear up just thinking of like you celebrating what you just did, but then like immediately turning your attention to see if your training partner also did it. Yeah, yeah it was really cool. How often do you all train together? So unfortunately, not all that much. Uh, we have different coaches, uh, but we're part of the same running club, which is called Mill City Running in Minneapolis. So it's a huge, huge group of over 700 runners, oh, cool. anywhere from, uh, you know, guys trying to run sub 220 to people wanting to complete their first marathon in, you know, 530 or complete their first 5K um, or whatever the goal is. Um, so unfortunately with my running schedule and then with the way our training was structured this, this time around, we didn't get to train all that much together, but we do a lot of just hanging out and easy runs together sometimes and then texting and supporting each other. That's awesome. Uh, that sounds like a really cool training group. I feel like a lot of training groups are either like super casual beginner or runners that aren't looking to run super fast, but they want a group or a more elitish group. And so to have a combination of the two, I think that has to have a pretty special coaching system and volunteer system in place. Yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty incredible. It's a husband and wife, Beth, Becca and Jeff Messorf. They own this store called Mill City Running, and now they have a second store called St. City Running. Um, so I think they opened up probably eight, ten years ago, um, shortly after they graduated college and really just had a big focus on if we make this a running community, then this store, this city, this running community will all be successful. And they certainly do a fantastic job with that. That is key to a successful run specialty store, like building out a training program and, you know, really cultivating that community. I just like, I feel like I've never seen it work where you get the serious runner and the not so serious runner all meshing. So kudos to them for making that happen. 
Yeah, definitely. They're doing uh, they're those Tracksmith 5Ks. Okay. And so there are two of them coming up, one in July and one in August. And um, so I'm going to run the one in August, but the one in July I'll hopefully be pacing because they'll have, you know, people who are hoping to run a sub 40 minute 5K, 5K and then, you know, all the way down to sub 14. So it's really cool. So do you have other women in the group in the area other than your friend, Kim, that are running kind of your speed? Um, well, there's the Minnesota Distance Elite Program, um, but they're, you know, kind of the professional running team. Um, and then there's a, certainly a chunk of women that are running different different distances, uh, different specialties like trail run, things like that, uh, through Mill City. So there's always, and they have several group runs a week, so always people to run with if you're available in their time slots. Okay, so the 234, like, really puts you on the map, though. I think back to, I don't know, three years ago when I interviewed Kira D'Amato, and it was when that was her PR, 234. (laughs) And I kind of stuck my foot in my mouth a little bit, and I told her this later, too, and she laughed and said, no way, but... Like, I remember being like, what is it like to be in this like middle area, right? Like you're so good and 234 is so fast, but to like break through, break through on the American women's distance running scene, like you got to at least crack 230, right? And then, you know, obviously look at the trajectory (laughs) of her career. Like I just had no idea what was going to happen. And she kind of alluded to like, I felt like I had this big secret. Like I knew I was capable of so much more, but it's like until you put those races out there nobody else is going to know. And so this is only your second marathon and you haven't been, you know, like a sponsored athlete and with these big training groups. So like, man, the sky is the limit. So I'm just curious, (laughs) like, where is your head in all this? Yeah. Um, I do feel pretty confident and, uh, pretty, pretty happy with where things are. Um, I was initially, I didn't make the elite group for the, um, Grammys marathon, which understandably I had a 255-ish. It was, you know, locally competitive. But I remember emailing saying, like, I I am confident in yeah. myself. I think I'm going to run a lot faster. And, you know, it's great to have self-confidence, but really anyone can say that. And if you don't have sure. the times, then it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. And so then after running um, some shorter, like, early spring races and a half and Eugene – and those continuing to improve. It was like, okay, now I have data that's showing that I am, I am faster and I am improving. So kind of where my head was, I had, you know, information to back that up. So that's so awesome. What place did you end up getting at grandma's? I was 10th. Oh, what a fun place. (laughs) Yeah. 10th place. It's like you got into the top 10. That's so awesome. Exactly. Tell us about the half marathon in Eugene. Yeah. Um, I had just been out of the country for a wedding. So my training had been kind of crazy. I was running in Brazil when, you know, in Minnesota, we still had snow. So I was going from 20 degree, sometimes plowed trail to 85, 90 degree high humidity and all the festivities of a wedding. Um, so that it was, I got back less than a week before the half. So I was certainly not fit and certainly (laughs) not going to then taper or anything like that. So, um, I tried to get back into just as much of a routine as I could before heading out to Eugene. And then, um, yeah, it was, uh, I was hoping to kind of hit somewhere around the half, you know, the one eighteen thirty, which would be the half pace I would need to OTQ and then, um, was able to be a little bit faster. So I was pretty pleased with that given that, yeah, it did come off of a time of a little bit less fitness. 
Yeah. What is that course? What is that course like? It's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, it's sort of two out and backs. Okay. But there's an actual hairpin turn at about ten. Ooh. So <laughs> you're running on um, paved trail, and you just literally you hairpin turn it. <laughs> So I think there's one of those in the marathon and I was very pleased to not be running the marathon when I did the hairpin turn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a hairpin turn is hard when you're running like a seven minute mile, let alone like a five, five thirty minute mile. It's crazy. Yeah. I think if I looked to my watch, it probably would have just been like eight, nine minute for right. the, you know, just totally turn around, not try and do anything crazy and then go again. Yeah. So you mentioned the the tendon issue that you had in between grandma's 2021, 2022. What did you really change with your strength training situation? Um, so I did some pretty uh, in, consistent and intense strength training in college. Um, and so I was training three days a week all the time. And so I'd gotten a little bit lazy with it with running um, and have definitely an imbalance of hamstrings and glutes being weaker than my quads. So got back into the gym twice a week. Uh, and my husband, my husband and I would go together and, um, really focused on setting up to improve that balance. So is strength training, you know, I feel like a lot of long distance runners, it's not super natural for them. And they're like, Oh, gotta just check this box. I think I saw Alephine tweeting about that today or yesterday. But as a former gymnast, does it come a little more naturally to you? Yeah, we um, we would do about an hour of strength training every day in the gym. And that was all body weight. So very different than what we did in college. But growing up, still lots of like pull-ups and rope climbs and things like that. Um, I actually have a memory of every 30 seconds we were late in gymnastics, we had a rope climb. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so really not fun things like that. But so a lot of strength training growing up, but transitioning to more like deadlifts and squats and things like that in college. Um, and it was something we all did, you know, it was after practice twice a week and then on the weekend once. And so it was just a team thing. I lived with all gymnasts. So that was pretty easy to continue. Um, so once I got back into it really consistently, I do actually enjoy it. You do. Mm -hmm. And your husband lifts with you. Yeah. That's so fun. Now, does he run right now? Um, he definitely runs kind of more for fitness and then he also cycles. What was your favorite, um, event in gymnastics? Like what was your big, the one that you excelled in the most? Uh, I was best at vaults, but okay. I liked competing floor the most. Okay. Oh, fun. Like the music routine, like what were some of your favorite music soundtracks? What do you call them? Oh, you yeah. <laughs> floor routine. I didn't really have a full, um, intentionally have any like big soundtracks, uh -huh. uh, but I did, which is not, not super fun, but I had the Requiem for a Dream. Okay. Uh, is that like that. slower? Uh, it's sort of dramatic. Yeah. 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 So I had that, uh, my junior and senior college. Okay. So what will you geek out on more in like an Olympic year, watching gymnastics or watching track and marathon stuff? Still gymnastics. Yeah. I, this past year, I mean, I would definitely try and wake up and catch things, but it was like, uh, you know, 4 a.m. wake up time, things like that. And my friends and I would all be up and texting and watching. Live, For the gymnastics. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so who are some of the gymnasts that you've looked up to over the years? So 96 Olympics, that was the Magnificent Seven. So I think that was just life-changing for me. My mom took me to their little tour after, and we got to go see them at the Target Center, which is in Minneapolis. And I just remember thinking they were just, you know, the absolute coolest things. 
Um, I really like Dominic Muciano and Dominic Dawes from that era. Um, and then I think, you know, there's, there's tons of current gymnasts that I think are still uh, really great. I liked Ali Raceman a lot, Simone Biles. Um, I think Michaela Maroney's vault, uh, if you can Google that, is probably one of, I mean, aside from everything Simone Biles does, that's yeah. kind of one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in the sport of gymnastics. Hey friends, a quick break here. If you are looking to take your training to the next level, make sure you check out Inside Tracker so that you know what's going on inside your body. Go to insidetracker.com slash another. Use the code another for 20% off your order. You get your blood tested. You fill out a detailed personal profile on their site with your lifestyle, nutrition habits, and preferences. And then Inside Tracker analyzes your data to generate science-backed recommendations specific to your body's needs. You select a goal and customize your recommendations that are most compatible with your lifestyle. As your body improves, your blood biomarkers change too. Retest every three months to see what's working and what's not. Go to insidetracker.com slash another for 20% off your order. Use the code another. That's on the entire Inside Tracker store for a limited time. Insidetracker.com slash another code another. All right, back to the show. And what about running? Like, who do you look up to in running? Yeah, I think Kira Diamato has been a huge inspiration, especially because she does have a non-traditional track. Shalane Flanagan, Emma Coborn, Sarah Hall, um, there are tons of them. And I think, you know, seeing women in their 30s, women with families, thing like that, things like that, uh, just still doing amazing, incredible things is really cool. And what do you do to, like, motivate and inspire yourself? Do you read any books, listen to any podcasts, watch any documentaries? Do you mean like from a training spot? Like what do I, like the training re- podcasts or what kind of? Yeah. Well, the reason I asked that question, this is so random. <laughs> Yesterday I started reading this book. It's a Cameron Haynes and he's a bow hunter. And I ordered his book because I follow him on Instagram and I thought, okay, I'll just like check out his book. And I started reading it. And I was heading out to do my long run and I was going to do 12 miles and the things that he wrote in the book, like inspired me to do 14 and run a little bit faster. And so I've been thinking about that a lot today. Like how does that like little piece of motivation I think is going to help me in this next training cycle. And I'm just curious if there's anything like that, that has helped you. No, I haven't really discovered that, to be honest, with uh, with running. I think with gymnastics, it was so consuming that it was, you know, read everything I can, practice everything in and out of the gym. And I think that that sometimes that was too much for me. And so one of the nice things that has been with running is that it is a totally new avenue for me um, in these past five or so years. And that it's been more of trying to just focus on self-improvement and like feeling good about my runs, enjoying my runs. Um, because I think I kind of went, went the other way with gymnastics for a while. Yeah. Like when you get too serious and I mean, keeping the fun in it back to Kira D'Amato, I mm. feel like that's one reason she's excelling so much is she's having so much fun with it. Yeah. I think, um, especially in college, I took gymnastics so seriously, um, that finding the balance of Taking it seriously, but also trying to be light with myself is, is pretty good. So what's your advice for like a younger athlete then if you could kind of go back and whisper into your ear 10 years ago, 20 years ago? I think I would just tell people like bet on yourself. 
you know your strengths, you know your training, you also know your limitations. Um, but if you believe in yourself and you believe what you're capable of, I think that then your success is, is going to write itself. And what did you learn about yourself in this last training cycle? Uh, well, besides the fact that I need way more sleep than ever, <laughs> um, I think I, I'm trying to learn a lot, a lot more about patience. Um, I can sometimes just, you know, want get have a hard time living in the moment, appreciating each day, appreciating each improvement, and so um, trying to focus on, on on patience and enjoying the process. I bet that's going to be tricky too because you took off so much time on that marathon. And once you get, you know, so, like to a certain pace, it's like the chunks get a little bit smaller. So mm -hmm. like even a three minute improvement from 234 will be massive. But just coming off this like 20 minute improvement, you got to kind of figure that out in your head. Yeah, certainly. Um, so what do you have your sights on? Yeah, so I don't exactly have everything sorted out for the fall, but I am going to run CIM in December. Oh, fun. That'll be a yeah. great course to go after a PR on. Yeah. Do you have hills like where you train? A little bit. Um, it's not super hilly. It's relatively flat, especially I Minneapolis is, has four public lakes that all have paths around them, and that's very flat, and that's nearest where I live, so I can be lazy with hills. <laughs> yeah. Do you listen to anything when you run? Mostly podcasts. Okay, you do. So I, yeah, I like to listen to like a lot of just lights and easy podcasts for all my easy runs, and then when I'm doing intervals, nothing. Nothing at all. Mm -hmm. Do you ever listen to music? No, rarely. Really? Uh, because my easy runs are so easy that every time I listen to music, I end up realizing my heart rate's Go buzzing at me. Yeah. Um, so it's more mostly podcasts. Yeah. It gets easy to get lost in that. What about what pace do you do your easy runs at? Um, anywhere from like 740 to 8. Okay. Um, although now it's hotter here and I'm a little more detrained after the marathon. So they've been like 810, 815 sometimes. Yeah. And that's just where you feel like most comfortable, not pushing at all. Yeah. Like, heart rate below 150-ish. Y'all hear that? She ran a 234 and her easy pace is 815. <laughs> if you're running a 330 marathon, your easy pace is not 815, 845. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one of the biggest struggles people have is like, knowing when to slow down and what the, you know, benefits of that are. Did that take you a little while to figure out? Yeah, it was really hard at first because when I first started doing it, my easy pace was probably nine and a half. Okay. Um, and so my husband would pull up my data and tell me, you're running too fast. Look at this, this, and this. Um, and I could always tell him, like, hey, can you come look at this on the computer? Yeah. And I would, I would know. So as I've become more fit, that pace has been faster, so easier to kind of enjoy running at, um, but it also has sped up. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about your work. Yeah. So I work at the UM hospital. Um, it's very close to my house. It's, um, it's a major transplant center. So patients are pretty sick. A lot of people who need or have had transplants. Um, and then I work strictly in the hospital. So that kind of seven day on, seven day off schedule. And what, like, when did you know that you were interested in pursuing a career in medicine? 
Um, my last semester of college, I did an internship for my major, which was community health, but it was at a cancer center, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my degree, kind of was thinking public health, um, but then I met the PA that was on their team and really got to shadow him, really liked his job, so took a couple of years uh, taking prerequisite courses and then went to PA school. How do you handle that, like working with such sick patients and you know, kind of like separating your life from that when you get home. I'm sure it can be really emotional. Yeah, uh, it's luckily it's a big group of uh, PAs, nurse practitioners, and physicians, and very very supportive. Um, so a lot of talking through things and being there to support each other, um, and then kind of. Being able, I think that first probably three, four years of being able to shut off at night and know, you know, there's a night team that's on and mm. things are tied up as best as they can be just to kind of shut off yeah. because the urge to log back into the computer or check, you know, I can pull up the, the charts on my phone at like 8.30, you know, I can't, can't really do anything about how they're doing from home at 8.30 p.m. Um, so allowing... The next teams to take over and being ready to take care of them the next morning. Yeah, I'm sure that's especially hard when you've like really connected with the patient too. Like some patients you connect with more than others and mm-hmm. wanting to know like, you know, they're, you know, they're laying in there and like, how are they doing? Oh man. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a, a, a balance, but I think we have such a supportive group that if you have concerns and you can just like call the night person and say, Hey, I'm worried about these things. Can you look into it? Well, hats off to you. Thanks for doing that. Thank you. Um, Okay. So you also love to travel, snowboard, cycle, and bake. What are you giving up when you're training really hard for marathons? Uh, Probably everything but travel. Yeah, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Baking too. Yeah, really very minimally. I was doing a lot in COVID. I think, you know, everyone was. Right. <laughs> um, and even before that, I was doing a lot. And now it's kind of more just the meal prep definitely needs to take precedent over any baking. I can walk to the grocery store and get a pie if I want one. You said you went to Brazil for a wedding, which, by the way, you must have really cool friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but where's the coolest place you've ever traveled? Uh, my brother lives in Thailand. And I think wow. that's probably the coolest place. Wow. And you, you're you one of four. So where do your other siblings live? Here. Oh, okay. So we're good. here and my parents are here and my brother is in Thailand. And he's, is he there indefinitely? Like that's just where his home is? Uh, actually, his wife just had a baby and they are probably going to move back here. Oh, shortly. that'll be, that'll be that'll fun be for nice. you. <laughs> yeah. Get to meet him. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's one thing professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Yeah, so I was kind of thinking about this. Number one is meet my nephew. <laughs> Since he is, he's uh, just a couple of weeks old, and I'm not going to get to meet him for a little while. Um, but kind of going in the, the wing of travel, um, my dad is from England, and there's a town on the southwest coast that we were fortunate enough to be able to go um, in the summers to see family and visit cousins. Um, and when I first brought my husband there when we were 19, I was nervous for him to come and I was like, what if he doesn't like it? What if he doesn't think it's as special as we do? And he said, you know, after we'd been there for a week or so, he's like, we should at some point bring everyone we love here. So that's my ultimate life goal is to to bring everyone we love to this town called Salcombe in in England. Ah, that sounds so beautiful. And you need to make that happen. Mm -hmm. 
We should have gotten married there, but we didn't. Oh, <laughs> how long ago did you get married? Uh, seven and a half years. Okay, okay, yeah. So you guys, if you went there when you are 19, you met fairly young. We met in high school. Oh, in high school. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have met, we recently moved. I feel like I say that on every podcast. So <laughs> Sorry, listeners. I know you know I moved um, if you're here regularly. Um, but I feel like so many of the people I have met, and maybe this is because we've moved to the South a little bit, are like, oh, yeah, we're high school sweethearts. I'm like, really? You're high school sweethearts? That's really cool. But it's not as common these days. Yeah, definitely not. So you dated in high school or did you were you just buddies in high school? Uh, we started dating my senior, our senior high school. OK. And did you go to the same college? We did. Yeah. OK. And he was a track athlete there and you were a gymnast. Yeah, that's it. Ah, uh, that's cool. Um, OK. What's the best, most recent book you've read? So I'm currently reading Crying in H Mart by okay. Michelle Zauner and it's her memoir. Uh, she is the lead vocalist and guitar player in a band called Japanese Breakfast. Okay. And it's fantastic. Cool. Never heard of that one. Are you binging any good shows right now? Uh, well, we had been Stranger Things, but oh. we haven't watched the final one because it's two and a half hours, and we haven't had two and a half hours to be ready to dedicate to it. <laughs> Listen, that has to be kind of hard on your week off because I feel like if your husband's busy with his work and you have some extra time because you have seven days off, you're like, all right, I could really knock this out here. Right? Yeah, I know. That's like, you can't break that code in the marriage, though. I know. Yeah, not if we're watching it together. Yeah. Um, who is someone fun, motivating, and, or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Um, so this is kind of a, an odd one, but her name is Sona Mosethian, and she is Conan O'Brien's assistant. So they have a podcast called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and it's the two of them co-hosting with um, another person named Matt Garley, and I think she's just hilarious and super fun and be great to have a beer with. Oh, I love that answer. Should I listen to that podcast? Yeah, you should. So they interview celebrities, but they have a banter in the first five to 10 minutes and then last five to 10 minutes. And she's just a very funny individual. You have to be like, you have to have a special connection for that to work. Mm -hmm. That banter at the beginning, because if it doesn't work, it can be annoying. Like I think Dax and Monica do it pretty well on Armchair Expert, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It takes someone special to pull it off. Yeah. You have to certainly know that person and then also be witty enough that it's not just an inside joke. My sister sent me an episode from that podcast with Paul Rudd a long time ago. And I don't know why I never listened to it, but every time I open my podcast up, it's there like, <laughs> hello, you haven't listened to me yet. Did you listen to that one? Yeah, I did. He's been on twice, I think. Oh, I okay. All right. So it's a good one that I run to because it I will audibly just be laughing out loud, just looking kind of crazy. Oh, totally. I love that when I'm listening to your podcast. And you're just like so happy. I love that. Um, yeah. Speaking of Paul Rudd, I was just thinking about him the other day because I think someone was talking about him on another podcast. And I was like, man, I remember when This Is 40 came out and I was like 25 and 40 seems so far away. And now I'm like pretty much almost 40. And I'm like, dang man you know it was like comical because it wasn't so close just yet and now it's close and I'm like okay I think I need to rewatch it yeah no kidding <laughs> oh man between that and um what's the one with Katherine Heigl oh um knocked, knocked up. up yeah, yeah. man just good 
funny. Need to watch that before bed to just unwind movies. Yes, yes. It's a, a good unwinder. What is your last message to leave with the audience? Um, when, so I was thinking about that one. I think it's kind of that just like believe in yourself, trust yourself kind of thing. Um, you know, we all, we're gonna, you know, I'm not going to set a expectation to run a 224 in my next marathon, but I do want to like, you know, trust myself, believe in myself, follow my gut. Um, because I think if you trust yourself and believe in yourself, others will, it's kind of contagious. Um, other people will see it and they'll believe in you. And then also I think that they'll model that behavior and want to believe in themselves too. Love that. Well, you're making us all want to go out to CIM this year because <laughs> we just dying to see what you're going to do. Yeah, it'll be a blast. You should come. All right, Gabby. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Lindsay. It was great. All right, friends. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Gabby, for sharing your story. It was so wonderful to get to know you. We are cheering for you and what's next. You all can find Gabby on Instagram. She is G-A-B-I. R-O-O-K-E-R on Instagram. You can find me personally. I'm lindsayhine626 on Twitter. I'm at lindsayhine and we have a great Facebook group. We'd love to have you join. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. Learn more about all of our shows at sandyboyproductions.com. All right. Thanks for being here. We will see you Monday with another episode in our six-part nutrition series. This one's coming out with Megan Featherston of Featherston Nutrition, and she is going to share all about carb loading with us. Have a great Friday, a wonderful rest of your weekend, and as always, we'll see you next week.